expressed in the giving of your son, Jesus Christ, for the salvation of those who place faith in you. Thank you for the truth that has permeated every society for the last 2,000 plus years. And Lord, we proclaim that this morning. So thank you for those that are here. Thank you for those that are watching online. And Lord, we just thank you that we can gather on this Thanksgiving weekend to sing your praises, to hear your word, to respond in gratitude for all that you give us. Thank you for your faithfulness and the sending of your son. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, welcome. Nice to see you. I hope you're having a good morning. I'm having a good morning. Amen. Thank you. Yeah. Good to, good to have you all here. And for those of you watching online, and uh, it's just great to be part of this service this morning. Can I, can I tell somebody, send, somebody send me a, sent me a statistic this week, and I haven't had it verified, but I'm going to say it anyway, um, because I thought it was really cool. But somebody sent me a statistic this week that we don't get a whole lot of views on a Sunday service on Facebook, but afterwards, we are number six of all the churches in London of views on Facebook. Did you know that? You know? Is it, is it bad to say I want to be number one? Okay. But anyway, I thought that was really cool. So thank you for those that are online. Thank you for those that are sharing the material online. Um, thank you for those that are participating. You know, Ali mentioned that on October 17th, we're going to have a training session. We're going to talk about the importance of the online ministry and talk about the importance of really doing productions well that uh, uh, it just increases because it's a mission field for us. It's absolutely ministry critical and mission critical. So thank you for being uh, a part and being willing to be part of ministries that really are, are helping us share the good news of Jesus Christ with the world. Now, um, if you've been part of our series, you know that we're talking about this whole um, topic of belief, Belief 101, and we've been talking about what does it mean to be a Christian? What, 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 what is it that we believe? What is it that we hold to? You know, when you decide to become a follower of Jesus Christ, what is it, what's, what's attached to all of that as we, uh, as we claim to be followers of Jesus Christ? And last week, we talked about the gospel. What is the gospel? And the gospel in Greek is good news. And in fact, um, we learned that last week that the gospel is nothing more than the story of Jesus. That, you know, all of Jesus' life, and in fact, when we talk about the story of Jesus, the critical highlights are his life and teachings, his death, his burial, his resurrection, and his ascension. So if there's five essential elements to the gospel and the story of Jesus, those are the five essential elements elements. But, you know, we talked about his teaching as, as being really important. But did you know that when Jesus was teaching, there was a topic that almost came, that came up almost every time he taught that we don't know really what to do with. Or for the longest time as a, as, as a pastor, as a Christian, I didn't know what to do with this particular topic that Jesus would raise almost in every parable, in, in every confrontation that he had with 
with uh, you know, religious leaders. And it's such an important part of what it is that Jesus has invited us into when we become followers of Jesus. So if you're a Christian here this morning, if you're watching online and you're a believer this morning, you may have struggled with this particular terminology and we're gonna flesh it out this morning. We're gonna talk about this particular thing that Jesus invited us to. And this thing that Jesus invited us to is like an alternate reality. It's like another world. But this isn't a world that we had to sort of leave this planet and go to. It was an alternate reality, an alternate world that we lived in, in the very present right here and right now. Now, here's the thing about this alternate reality, that when you become a believer, when you become a Christian, this is where the alternate reality happens. The power models that we grow up with, the, you know, what, what holds power, what holds authority, what holds status in this particular world are all evaporated. The power models that, that Jesus invited us to was totally different, this alternate reality. If you talk about the moral and ethical values that, are, you know, that exist in this world, all the moral and ethical values as being part of this alternate reality become totally different. The motivation for this alternate reality became totally different. And we were invited into a world that was separate from you know, the modern culture and the modern world that we are living in. And it said, you know, you're going to live differently. You're going to see the world differently. You're going to act differently. And you're going to do so because when you act in this particular way, it's going to invite other people into this other reality, this other world that we're talking about. Can I... Let me ask you a question. This, you know, we talk about salvation. We talk about people coming to faith in Jesus Christ. Have you ever wondered if that's the answer, if that's the big exam that we have at the end of our lives about faith and the faith being in Jesus Christ, wouldn't it have been easier for God that the minute you made that profession of faith, you got sent to heaven right away? Wouldn't it have that been, okay, you figured out life, you figured out everything, you, fig you figured out what the end game and what the exam of life is. Why doesn't God take us home right away once we figured out everything and made that profession of faith? You know, my, my best answer to that, I got asked that a long time ago, and my best answer to that is that when we get to heaven, there are two things we cannot do in heaven. Number one is we no longer sin, okay? So as, as God left us here so we can just continue to sin, you should know the answer to that. <laughs> okay? The answer, yeah, the answer is, is probably no. The second thing we can't do in heaven is witness to others about the good news of Jesus Christ. So if those are the two things you can't do in heaven and God has left us here and we've kind of answered the ultimate question of life, isn't it possible that the reason we are left here is that we can proclaim to others the good news that we have come to embrace? Doesn't that change your whole perspective of you know, what we're called to be 
and do in this life. And part of that is this alternate reality, this different world that Jesus has invited each of us into when we make faith in Jesus Christ. So I want to take us to a couple of packages, packages, passages. I'm thinking of Christmas already. Is that... I'm sorry, once we get to, we actually played Christmas music yesterday at home, so I, forgive me for that, it was too early. Our, our basement got flooded and all these CDs got wet, so I wanted to make sure they still work, so I ended up putting Christmas CDs on just to make sure they work. And anyway, it's a good thing you didn't come by our house yesterday because you would have heard all Christmas music. So, But the CDs are fine, we're all good. Okay, um, but let, I'm going to read a couple of passages, and uh, we're going to look at Mark 1. 14 to 15. So here's, here's the passage that we have that we're going to talk about. Later on, after John was arrested, and that's John the Baptist, by the way, Jesus went into Galilee where he preached God's good news. And we talked about, you know, the good news last week and, and what all of that meant. The time promised by God has come at last, he announced. The kingdom of God, the kingdom of God is near. Repent of your sins and believe the good news. Here is Jesus talking about the kingdom of God. And this is the alternate reality. This is the alternate world that Jesus has invited us into when we come to faith in Jesus Christ. We don't live like the rest of the world. There are different priorities. There are different motivations, different morals, different ethics, different priorities. You you name it. It is so dramatically different, this invitation that Jesus has brought us into because we are now followers of Jesus. And we're going to talk about this kingdom of God thing because in many ways, we, we struggle with what does it really mean when we get invited into this alternate universe, this alternate reality that Jesus talked about. So I want to just quickly go through a number of characteristics, or not just characteristics, well, what is the nature of the kingdom? And the kingdom is talked about in the Old Testament, the kingdom is talked about in the New Testament, and this kingdom is something that has been proclaimed that Jesus, when he came, he inaugurated, you know, I'm going to get into the theological components, but the, theologians talk about that when Jesus came and accomplished what he did on the cross and was resurrected, he inaugurated the kingdom of God. Now, it's not fully realized. The inaugurated kingdom is is the, he, the already, but not yet. If you ever read, you know, theological journals and you talk about the already, but not yet, it means the kingdom has arrived already, but it's not fully materialized. It's not until, you know, the, the end days and, and when we go to heaven that the full realization of the kingdom of God happens. But Jesus started it. And he started this kingdom of God in a way that helps us live differently than the rest of the world. When you become a Christian, you are part of a movement that is dramatically different than the power models, the authority models, the moral ethical models that the world lives by. And it's powerful. And it has attracted people for centuries. And it's made all the difference in the world. It's made all the difference because 
orphanages started by Christians. Education to the masses was started by Christians. The, the compassion ministries and the, and, the, and the ministries to even young children. You know, in, in the Roman Empire, they used to leave children exposed on the side if they didn't want them. And Christians would come along and pick up these children and raise them as their own. That was absolutely normal in that day and age to do that. But it was the Christians who would take these children and say, because everyone, every child matters. Everyone is made in the image of God. Everyone has certain rights. Everyone deserves an education. Everyone deserves proper health care. Everyone. And this whole new reality that Jesus invited believers into started to flourish across the nations. And you know what? I, I, I'll tell you, it's this living this different reality that really transported the, the church in the first century into the worldwide movement, movement that it became. Because, you know, all the moral and ethical standards that existed in the Greek-Roman Empire were now suddenly being challenged. And people were caring for others. And people were, were motivated by different things than power and authority and status and symbols and all those kinds of things. And the revolution that Jesus brought, you know, initiated with the early church, and it continues today. You don't believe me? Amen. Amen. And what Jesus brought to the world all those years ago is still what the world needs today. So let's talk about the kingdom of God. Here's, here's the nature of the, kingdom, of the kingdom. First of all, it needs a king. Okay, we're going to talk about five things that every time the kingdom of God is spoke, spoken of in the Old Testament, New Testament, it needs a king. And the Old Testament was Yahweh. Yahweh was the king. The, the, the people of Israel would follow one God, one God alone, and that was Yahweh. And in the New Testament, it is Jesus Christ. If you're a Christian here this morning, you are a follower of Jesus Christ. Jesus is our king. That's why the Bible says that someday, you know, that, that Jesus is King of kings and Lord of lords. That there's no higher authority than Jesus. And the kingdom, whatever it, it, it is, and whatever we understand it, acts and looks like Jesus Christ. That when we think about what it, what it means to live in the kingdom, the kingdom is the place or the person of Jesus Christ is who we model our lives after. Second is that the king has a rule. It's the how that we live. And this rule has two parts to it, by the way. Um, Jesus as the king is redeeming and rescuing people. He came to redeem and rescue people, people from their sins, people from the dark sides of us that we can't resolve within ourselves that we can't by ourselves have a connection or a relationship with God because of our sinful nature, that Jesus came to build that bridge in between and become the bridge by which we can be forgiven, we can be redeemed, we can be reconciled to God. 
And the second is this governing component of this rule that we submit to the lordship of Jesus, that we say we live in the, in the power of Jesus and under his will and authority, that Jesus is the authority for our lives. I don't know about you, but that makes life a lot easier, doesn't it? <laughs> to live under that authority. And you know what? We submit to authority easily when we know that the person in authority loves us unconditionally. Isn't that, isn't that the rub? You know, that we, we don't often submit to a particular authority because we doubt whether they have good intentions for us in mind. That's the beautiful thing about submitting to the authority of Jesus. That's a beautiful thing to, of submitting to his lordship, that he has rescued us, he has redeemed us for something, for that, that, from something that we could have not rescued ourselves from, and he did it because he loves us deeply with an unconditional love and that Jesus has the very best for us. So I don't struggle with the lordship of Jesus knowing that he loves me to that degree. And it's easy to come under his authority and to be governed and want to live in his will. Thirdly, there's a people. It's always, you know, a kingdom always includes a people because if you're a king, you're not ruling over anything. You're just like a fantasy. Like what, what is it, you know? It's like if you're a leader and no one's following, all you're doing is going for a walk, right? Okay? So it, it, it includes a people. And in the Old Testament, obviously, it was the nation of Israel. Israel were, was God's people. They were the ones collected to demonstrate to the world what it meant to live under the rule of Yahweh. And in the New Testament, it's the church. The church is this beautiful collection of people. And it's not perfect people. I don't want to be in a church of perfect people. Do you? Okay. Are you afraid to say yes? because <laughs> I said it that way. But I'm thankful that even in my imperfections, Jesus still loves me. Even though those times of weakness, even though in those times when I'm not at my best, that Jesus still loves me. That we are his people. Third is uh, a law or a will. We know that living under a kingdom or the kingdom of God. There is a law or a will. In the, in the Old Testament, it was the Torah. That's what the, the, you know, the people of God lived under, you know, the Sinai Code, this, this, this Torah that instructed the people what it meant to live under the rule of Yahweh. And in the New Testament, let me tell you, we have the Sermon on the Mount. Now, I don't know about you. If you've ever taken time to read the Sermon on the Mount lately, I challenge you to read it and say, that is how I am supposed to act in the kingdom of God. I don't know about you, but I, I would rather try and live under the Torah than try to live under the Sermon on the Mount. Did I just say that out loud? Is that recorded? The Sermon on the Mount is hard living. The moral and ethical standards and demands of the Sermon on the Mount really come from, you know, a, a, a mind and a heart that's aligned with God. 
And we know those are the two most dangerous places in our own lives, as our own minds and our own hearts, because they can deceive us so quickly. And Jesus targets in the Sermon on the Mount, not our relationship with God, but our relationship with one another on, on the horizontal level. And it challenges the way we think and the way we feel and how we react to the societal norms that are part of the culture that we live in, that we love our enemies, that we pray for our enemies, that we look at people not as objects, but we look at people as made in God's image, that it's a whole different way of acting and living, and it's a challenge. And any of you that have read the Sermon on the Mount know that it brings up some stuff in our lives that, you know, tells us that we have to align things more with the heart of Jesus. Because even the moral and ethical teachings of the Apostle Paul later on actually mirror and mimic much of the Sermon on the Mount. So there's this whole moral and ethical standard and lastly, there is a land. Now, this might surprise you from a New Testament standpoint, is the land, because there's no such thing as a king who doesn't have a space that they rule in, okay? A, a, a people that they rule over and a space that they rule in. And in the Old Testament, the blessing of the land, the blessing of the promised land, flowing with milk and honey and all the, all the glorious things that God promised to them, it was a physical land in the Old Testament. And it was a reality in the Old Testament, this promised land, this temple, the holy of holies, and, and just how this sacred space became the way that the nation lived out the, the space that God gave them to honor him. Now, you, you, don't, you know, you don't get upset with me, but, but in the New Testament, do you realize that the church, even though it is a people, there is sacred space that is honored in the New Testament when it comes to the church, that when the people gather together in a building like this, it becomes sacred space. I love... I, I love the term sanctuary because sanctuary has this idea that, that it's, it's a guarded place away from the stresses and the difficulties of the world around us. And when we gather together, we gather together in a way that recognizes us as the people of God and the presence of God is right here. I, I love the, the, the terminology of sanctuary because it brings us into a place where it's just us and God. And it's powerful. It's concrete, incarnational living. It's practical. And I know a lot of people object, you know, the, the church isn't a building, blah, blah, you know, all that kind of stuff. It is the people. And I, I know that. I understand that. As a theologian, I get that. But there's something about a building where the people of God gather and the sacredness of God is honored and the spirit of God is present and we're worshiping together, that that sacred space honors the king of a kingdom that we are celebrating and worshiping. Amen.
the inner court. Yeah. It's beautiful. You know, it, and, and, and again, you know, I grew up Orthodox. And uh, if you go into a Greek Orthodox church, you, you, you get the, the different levels. You get the, you know, where the congregation, and then they have the inner sanctum, and then they have, you know, the holy of holies. You have this wall, and the priest will go back behind the wall, and he'll do whatever at, where the high priest goes. And that was all intentional. It was to mimic sacred space as it was in the Old Testament. Okay, so there is such a thing, even in the New Testament, of sacred space where the kingdom of God reigns. Kingdom of God reigns. Here's a second passage that I want to read this morning. And many of you probably recognize this passage because it's, it's very commonly Communicate it. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously. And he will give you everything you need. Okay? So what does it mean to seek the kingdom of God? Can we talk about the characteristics of the kingdom? Now, here's why this is really, really important. Okay? This is why this is really important. And, and many of you have heard me harp about this. Okay? But we're in the midst of a pandemic. And... You know, what generated this whole sermon series for me was just how distressed I was, how, how some churches were reacting to the pandemic, and just how I, w- I was heartbroken at a time when I thought the church could shine and demonstrate what we really stood for. Um, the churches that were the loudest anti all kinds of stuff were the ones that were the loudest. And that really broke my heart. Because even if they're right, okay, hear me out. Even if they're right, what does it tell people about what the church has as a priority? That's what breaks my heart. The anti whatever could totally be right. But what it does is, is in many ways defame the purpose of the church to be the image of, the, of Jesus Christ and the kingdom of God to the world around us. That's what breaks my heart. It has nothing to do with whether I agree, disagree, or anything like that. But if our main motivation is to live as kingdom citizens, some of us have failed to do that well and to demonstrate to the world that we live by a different ethic, we live by a different power model, we live by a different moral code, all of those kinds of things. Okay? That's my point. Okay? Thank you. So it didn't matter, because that's why this particular topic today is so important. Because if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, these characteristics that we're going to go through are characteristics of the kingdom of God and what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. That these, this, is, this is the world, this is the alternate reality that we are supposed to live by. All right? That's why I, you know, out of, out of so many of, of, of these topics that we're going through, to me this is, was one of the more important ones. Okay? So what are the characteristics of the kingdom? Number one, peace over violence. One of of the things that Jesus proclaimed time and time and time and time again is peace. 
His, his entire ministry is bracketed by peace. When the angels announced the birth, it said peace. That's what they announced. They announced peace. When Jesus, when he was resurrected and he appeared to his disciples and he appeared to the people, that, that's what the first thing it com- communicated then, peace be with you. Okay? And that's how you can basically bracket the entire ministry of Jesus is that he brought peace into the world. And the first thing we think of is this, this war peace and, uh, you know, from the violence and that. But the violence belongs to the people who are not part of this kingdom, who think a different power model exists, a different model for getting away, or a different model for ascending to prominence and status and symbolism and all those kinds of things. And Jesus says, no, that's not how the kingdom works. It works on the ethic of peace. And when we talk about this peace, we talk about an inner shalom. We talk about an inner adenia in Greek. It's about having a peace that absolutely covers our entire life and becomes an inner deep peace that in the midst of the craziness, we have confidence in God, confidence in Jesus, and we live with a sense of peace inside of us that we can have joy in the midst of when everybody else is in a fetal position. And it's, a, and it's an important characteristic. But we don't live by violence. That's, that's how the other half live. And that's a model that has been shown time and time and time again to only last for a brief period of time until someone bigger, stronger, meaner, more evil comes along and the cycle happens again 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 and lives are ruined people are hurt trauma happens and hurt people hurt people but a different moral and ethic is peace secondly all are invited. The invitation to the kingdom of God isn't exclusive. It isn't to the elite. It isn't to, you know, it isn't a form of social Darwinism where only the strong survive. It is everyone invited into this kingdom. That, that what Jesus accomplished on the cross wasn't just relegated to a special few. It was for the entire world. It was for anyone who recognized that Jesus came to save them from their sin. They open their heart to Jesus. They come and say, Jesus, you are now Lord of my life. I now follow you wholly. I just thank you for what you've done in my life. And, I, and, and you don't get a, okay, just hang on. I have to look at your resume. I have to look at all your back data. I have to look at all the things you've done. And give me a couple of days and I'll tell you whether you're in or not. Aren't you thankful that, for those of you who have made a profession of faith, that the minute you opened up your heart to Jesus, that you were now in direct communion with God? No committee. No, we'll get back to you. (laughs) 
I love that picture in Isaiah. You know, remember Isaiah? I don't know if you remember Isaiah 6. He sees the Lord high and lifted up, and the, you know, the, the, the temple is shaking, and there's smoke, and there's a seraphim, and all this stuff. And, and Isaiah admits to his own sin, and he says, who do I send? You know, send me. And, and one of the seraphim takes a coal out of the fire burning, and he flies over to Isaiah, and he touches his lips, and he goes, Psst. And Isaiah is clean. He's he's forgiven. He's a new man. He's on a mission. He's the prophet of God. And some of his proclamations and revelations and prophecies we celebrate to this very day because they're so powerful because they're from the very hand and mouth of God. So all are invited, no elitism. Third thing, here's, here's, here's the one. Here's the three S's of, of fellowship and community, by the way. Service, sharing, and stewardship. If somebody says to you, what, what is you know, fellowship in the Bible, kinonia in Greek, you could probably summarize it with these three words. It's all about sharing. It's all about serving. It's all about um, stewardship, taking care of the resources that God has given us for the motivation of doing God's work with those resources. And it's about sharing with one another. It's like, you know, you don't, people don't have to go without. You know, Ali talked earlier about the Benevolence Fund. We are just so thankful that over the course of this, of, of this almost two years of the pandemic, if you knew the amount of people you've been able to help through that, through that fund, if you know the amount of people who were, were struggling and we were able to, you know, give them a, a hand up and a leg up and, and give them an opportunity to be hopeful for the, for the future and the days ahead. People who are new to the country, people who have, you know, uh, had struggles because, they, you know, they lost work or they lost livelihood and things like that, that we were able to touch because we are a people that are willing to share what God has blessed us with and make a difference in other people's lives. That is so powerful and that's so overwhelming to be part of a church that cares about these things and to serve one another to serve one another in love okay here's here's the next one justice and righteousness we are all about being fair and being okay justice when i talk about justice and righteousness it's it's yes it's right living and it's being fair but if we are people where other people feel safe around and feel that they're going to be properly heard and given a fair contextual um, opportunity, that's what justice and righteousness is all about, okay? If people don't feel safe around us, they'll never see us as being just or righteous. If people are unsure around us, that's not a place where people feel just and mercy and, and, and righteousness around. People have to feel safe and people have to feel like they're going to get a fair hearing and a fair shake at whatever it is that they're going through. Okay, that's what it means to live you know, with justice and righteousness. But they were the hallmarks of Jesus. All kinds of people came to Jesus and he gave them a fair hearing and gave them a truthful answer of how they should proceed. But you know what? He heard them. He saw them. He touched them. He taught them. 
He healed them. He blessed them. But he told them the truth. People were safe around Jesus no matter what he said to them because he was just and he was right. Here's, here's number five, humility and suffering. We are going to, we need to be people of humility. We're not always going to be right. It's not always about being right. It, you know, what, what is the old adage? It's not about being right. It's about doing what is right. I don't know about you, but, you know, there are lots of times as a parent I was right when it came to my kids, but it didn't get me a long way in the I love dad column. Okay? And I know tough love exists and all that kind of stuff, but there are times I was just trying to be right as opposed to doing the right thing. And it's amazing that that sort of applies all across you know, life. But when you're part of the kingdom of God, it's not just about being right. It's about doing the right thing. It's about, you know, having the humility to say, you know what, okay, I'm, I'm, I just need to live differently as, as, as a demonstration of what is happening. But humility is a big part. Jesus was absolutely humble. You know, from the glories of heaven, like Philippians 2, he came down and humbled himself didn't live just the life of a human, but the life of a servant. And didn't just die an ordinary death, but died a criminal's death on a cross. Like the levels of humility in the life of Jesus is just staggering. But that's what he did. And of course, with humility has the potential of suffering. Suffering's a reality in our world. God doesn't take us outside of the suffering. He doesn't say, okay, from now on, just because you become a believer, you will never have a painful moment ever in your life again. I don't know, but, you know, as painful as those moments are, that's not life. That's just a precursor to death because suffering is part of this life. And in the midst of it all, it's what draws us closer to God in many, many ways. And we've taken suffering away. If we were to take, you know, again, I'm not going to do a whole thesis on suffering, but the reality is, if most of us are brutally honest, if there was absolutely no suffering, no pain, no anything in our lives, how quickly would we forget about God? That's why we have holidays like Thanksgiving, where we have to be reminded of the good things that we have in life. And we as a church, we as a people, have a lot to be thankful for. Here's the other thing about the kingdom of God. It invades this present darkness. We don't hide. We don't recoil. We don't, we don't go running to the mountains and sort of say, okay, now that we're believers, we can stay away from all that stuff. As much as I love the life of a monk, that's just not reality for most of us, that we live in the real world. And the fact of the matter is, is kingdom citizens, and as I said earlier on, that's what made the church so powerful. One of the things that made the church so powerful in the early years is that it invaded the darkness with this new morality, this new ethic, this new way of living, this new way of taking care of people, this new way of, of seeing power and authority and all those kinds of things. And it was a whole different world. What, you mean we can live like that? Absolutely. All you have to do is follow Jesus. And suddenly Peter, people matter. 
People matter over money. People make a difference. And our whole motivation is changed. So it invades this present darkness. There isn't a single person in this room that thinks everything about life is glorious. We all know that there's darkness in the world and we struggle with that darkness. But we as the people of God stand against that darkness and bring light into places where the devil is having a heyday. But we are people of the light. I love that, that passage. And again, I can't, I can't remember, you know, taking us out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son. That's a beautiful passage that tells you where we've been transported to, where we've been transferred to. The kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. Here's the last one. We're transformed by love. We are transformed by love. Love is this powerful thing that is part of the kingdom that is, I, I argue, if you're a Christian here, the main ethic that you live by is the ethic of love. We might not fully get unconditional love like, like, like Jesus towards us. You know, we have unconditional love to our grandkids, to our children, to, you know, other people and family. We don't express unconditional love to everybody. But the reality is we have a responsibility of believers to tell people that we love them. That we do care for them. Because as a follower of Jesus Christ, that is my responsibility to let you know that you are loved beyond measure. And that's what it means to live as part of the kingdom of God. Now, I don't know about you. I don't know if you've been challenged about this this morning. I was challenged when I was going through this thing. And we, you know, and you know what? We could add all kinds of theological categories to this because this is a really huge topic. These, these are the highlights. But can I challenge you today to, to consider what it means to live as a kingdom citizen? It is a different world. It is an alternate reality. It has a whole different set of standards that we live by. And can I challenge you today to maybe ask yourself, how am I not living like a kingdom citizen? And what could I do this week to start living the kingdom of God in my life, in my relationships, and in the community I'm a part of? Because I'll tell you, if we truly live like kingdom citizens, the world will never know what hit them. Amen? Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for the reality and the truth of the kingdom of God. And Lord, as we have learned, this is such an important topic. Lord, I think the New Testament states this phrase something like 80 times, more than 80 times in the New Testament. It's so important that it's communicated so often, but how many of us really struggle with what it means? I hope today, Lord, that, you know, whether it's someone here or someone online, that they've gained a greater sense of what it means to be a kingdom citizen in this world as followers of Jesus Christ and how it should make a difference to the way the world sees us. So, Lord, thank you for this incredible privilege that we have as believers 
to be part of the kingdom of God. And Lord, if there are any here this morning who have not made a faith commitment to you, may their heart be opened today by what they have heard. May your spirit be speaking into their lives. And may they know the joy of following Jesus and the unconditional love that they will experience in their lives and to live fully in a way that they could not have imagined before. And we thank you. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.